welcome to you today. I'm Paul Pepis, Director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Avencio de La Paz, Assistant Professor and Curricular Head of Fibers in the School of Art and Design at the University of Oregon. De La Paz is an artist, writer, and educate, educator. Their work explores the intersection of textile processes, such as weaving, dye, and stitch work, as they relate to broader concerns of language, histories of colonization, migrancy, ancient technology, and speculative futures. De La Paz joined the UO faculty in 2016. Thanks, Avencio, for coming on the show. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Paul. Wonderful to be here. So tell us first a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the visual arts. Oh, sure. Um, you know, actually, when I, uh, when I became um, uh, an artist, I always uh, uh, thought that I would be a painter. <laughs> um, and, in, and in so many ways, I think that uh, I've taken a very, very circuitous route um, from, uh, from painting to leaving painting to uh, returning to quite a painterly format in textile. Um, but, you know, growing up, I was never the artist. My brother, uh, my older brother, um, was, was the artist in the family. Um, I studied mostly music, and um, it was because of a, an extraordinary um, art teacher in the public high school I went to um, in, in Gresham, Oregon. Her name's Kim McKenna. I'm um, just a, a brilliant teacher and, and um, really opened uh, so many possibilities for me um, in, in terms of thinking about all kinds of ideas through through visual art, so I really credit her with that with that change. Um, but you know, in in terms of uh, uh, choosing a textile and, and choosing weaving um, in particular, um, I think my background in music actually made perfect sense. Um, both are are very sort of mathematical and logical kinds of um, ways of thinking. So you know, things connect <laughs> in ways you don't expect. So weaving is a you know a truly ancient art form. But your approach is quite contemporary. Tell us a little bit about the, the way that you approach this ancient art, art form as a 21st century person. Yeah, you know, the, the, um, the loom is often considered one of the first kinds of computers. And my, my current work and research is really based around exploring um, that idea, that history and, and that idea and its implications. Um, and when I was studying textiles um, at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, um, in the Fiber Material Studies program, um, we had acquired this, this device called the Thread Controller 2 Digital Jacquard Loom, um, which at the time and, and today is, is a very, very emerging uh, piece of technology. Essentially, it's a completely uh, computerized loom, so we can communicate um, patterns and data to the loom directly and have the loom um, sort of be a collaborator. A, a technical, a mechanical collaborator um, in, in the weaving process. And so my approach really began with um, the sort of curiosity, you know, I'm kind of like a right on the edge of digital native. I didn't quite grow up with computers um, in, in the bedroom or anything, but um, I was right on the cusp of that. And so the, the presence of, of technology, um, I think on, on the one hand, we, we think of as um, primarily like, you know, with our uh, digital devices that are in our lives, but um, you know, studying weaving, we sort of realize this sort of uh, continuum of technology. And um, so, you know, from sewing needle to sewing machine, from loom to digital loom to computer to cell phone, et cetera, um, uh, I, I approach sort of this ancient craft, not as sort of a isolated kind of um, from, from, moder from modernity or, or from 
contemporary life, but really um, as a continuum. And I think in that way, my relationship with all kinds of technology has really um, has really changed. So one of your frequent approaches is to challenge some of the conventions or the limitations of, of the traditions of weaving. So one of those um, limitations is due to warp and weft. Mm -hmm. so tell us some of the ways that your work challenges those limitations. Yeah, you know, um, in, in every weaving, even in the most kind of idiosyncratic or um, uh, challenging uh, textile I might produce, there is always a warp and weft, right? And really the, the challenge is in um, how far we can push their interrelation. So for, the, for people who are not weavers, um, you, whenever you weave, you know, you have, you know, from the most ancient weavings, um, you, we see that there's um, vertical threads called the warp and then the um, horizontal threads called the weft. Um, and um, these must always interact in some way. And in, in the most simple way, um, we have something called plain weave, which is a checkerboard kind of basket weaving sort of pattern. Um, so there's always some uh, interaction and it's really the, the nature of that interaction that I am challenging. And so with the, the digital loom, um, you know, I'm able to ask the loom to weave really what I, I could describe as the, the limitation, like the very limits of what can be woven um, at the loom. And um, this is, uh, I, I explore this through writing uh, my own um, software or collaborating with programmers to create software um, that, that really um, looks at this very simple um, idea of um, thread going over and under um, and, and trying to, to push that um, towards sort of its, its breaking point. Um, it, never, it never does break, <laughs> which, which, is, which is interesting to me that um, those limitations I remain intact, but um, the sort of question of like uh, um, this very traditional binary relationship of warp and weft, how far can we sort of um, uh, play with its edges? Should you tell us a little bit more about this, um, the software that you've developed and uh, your collaborators who are coders? Yeah, for sure. Um, my primary collaborator, uh, his name is Michael Mack. Um, he's a, a programmer and uh, a, a computer engineer. and. Um, you know, I, I met him actually through um, uh, a Zen Buddhist community, <laughs> um, which, which we both um, are, are uh, members of. But anyway, you know, uh, way back when I started working with the digital loom, um, you know, I had this sort of impulse that um, whatever kind of media I work with, whether that is um, with dye or with weaving um, or with sewing, I'm very in invested in investigating the, the history of these tools. And so as I was looking at the history of um, digital um, jacquard weaving, uh, it became like really obvious I needed to investigate uh, um, the digital uh, in, a, in, a, in a more kind of basic way. Like I needed to understand how coding works. I mean, I'm, I'm not a coder at all. <laughs> so I needed to like, to like, oh, if I'm gonna work with computers and weaving, I better know as much about the computer as, as um, or as much as I can about the computer um, as I know about uh, the loom. And so I began just writing software on my own, you know, on, um, on an open source kind of free platform. Um, and I was like, wow, this is, there's a lot here and, and I need help <laughs> basically. So um, uh, Michael, you know, is really wonderful. Um, uh, uh, thinker and um, a really talented um, coder and, you know, just sort of having very simple conversations, sort of like actually, um, even before having conversations, just watching him work, you know, uh, 
how much you know we think about maybe the computer or the or a programmer as like um very disembodied right it's like digital it's like a screen based but watching them work is actually like watching a craftsperson you know the articulation of the hands across the keyboard just like um you know the material is is mathematics and, and language anyway so um i had this idea for a long time um as i was studying uh, and reading the history of about um computer programming and trying to understand like um the the history of digital technology um uh i come across this um, narrative which is stuck in my mind and continues to stick in my mind which is about um the uh the supercomputer at the institute for advanced studies in new jersey um this ias computer which was a kind of a supercomputer um which was designed in part to um uh, calculate blast trajectories of ballistics during the second world war and was um uh, very good at that task and afterwards um the the scientists were sort of given the opportunity to uh, use this sort of most powerful computer um uh for whatever means they thought uh, uh would be useful for the world and so they made an open call and um the project they chose um was a project a proposal by um mathematician biologist uh named uh, nils albericelli and he was interested in modeling darwin's theory of evolution this is all going to connect, by the way. It's a long sort of story, and so I, it was. A, I was just so struck that on this computer, you know, the proximity of these two projects, weapons of mass destruction, and then um, questions about the origin of life in this one device, was so uh, powerful to me. I, I was like, okay, I, I need to pursue this somehow. And I think that a lot of artists, I'm the kind of artist who like just goes down rabbit holes without a plan, <laughs> end up in, in sometimes very interesting places. But um, uh, for Baricelli, um, the computer was mapping um, what he called um, bionumeric organisms. He designed these little packets of, of numbers and you could see them sort of graphically grow and decay, build communities, um, et cetera. And I thought, oh, I want to grow um, uh, weed structures. I want to, to grow a textile in this way. So Michael and I talked a lot and we looked at Baricelli's original code and he adapted it um, for uh, in a coding environment called Unity. And yeah, we were able to play with this, this software and um, it was amazing. You know, it, yeah, it, we, we, we were able to get it to grow weave structures essentially that I could weave at the loom. But um, the wonderful thing about collaboration, of course, is that uh, he was able to ask me questions as a programmer that like, I could not know how to ask as a weaver or an artist, really. And um, so, so you know, that was a very fruitful exper uh, experience, and, and continues to be really central to my work. So you've you've uh, spoken about your collaboration with with him, and but you've also talked about this kind of agency of the computer, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it, 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 at times it sounds as if you also view the computer as a collaborator. You want to tell us a little bit about the way you engage with artificial intelligence and the yeah, agency sure. of the of the computer? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I think that uh, when we talk about um, artificial intelligence or um, these algorithms, which are kind of like uh, it's scary. <laughs> you know, we get images images of Terminator or um, you know of of you know Netflix sort of Amazon controlling, and that's definitely 
um, an issue I think about I think about a lot. But um, for me, again, uh, I have the complicated relationship with the computer as a device, and I think a lot of um, uh, a lot of people have this experience where you know I I grew up in in rural Oregon and. Um, we immigrated, or my family immigrated from very uh, um, uh, urban Southeast Asia and Singapore and Indonesia. And I was like a, um, a, a queer person of color in rural Oregon and was like terrified <laughs> all the time. You know, it, it, and, and it, uh, it's a, it was a beautiful place to grow up, a bucolic and, and pastoral kind of place. But um, the, I, I found myself really engaged um, with computers and with technology, um, with online communities, uh, because like I needed this alternative world, uh, because the 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 world I was growing up in was so um, was so scary, um, frankly. So uh, I've always sort of looked at the computer and and the digital not as like a, uh, of course it, it's it's just like any technology, incredibly fraught, and um, has uh, both um, incredible um, opportunities, um, but also, uh, you know, always like a, this, this threat of um, uh, uh, getting out of control, whether in a micro sense, like in one person's life, or in a macro sense, like in um, weapons of mass destruction. But, um, you know, when I work with the computer, I, I really want to think about it as, um, as a collaborator in that I, I give up a lot of my um, sort of agency as a designer or as a, a visual artist to to the parameters that um, we set. So it's sort of like um, I think a lot about Saul Witt actually, um, this idea that um, the idea is the machine that makes the art, you know. And and um, I, I referenced music previously uh, that, that I, I looked to like serialist composers and minimal composers who sort of let's create these parameters and see what, um, what creativity can emerge from these strict parameters. And the loom is always like that. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a very, very strict kind of um, uh, tool to, to be engaged in. Um, so the computer functions very similarly for me in, in that way. Um, the, the, you know, the algorithms we write or the sort of parameters we create, they always seem so limiting. But once I sort of let the computer um, uh, uh, react to it, uh, these incredibly unpredictable things happen. And um, it, always, it always makes you think that the, the hard edge of technology, actually there's a kind of softness there. Um, there's a room for surprise. And, and um, I think a lot of people who work with like um, glitch art or any kind of um, uh, algorithmic art will probably say the same thing. You know? <laughs> So why don't you tell us about a project that you're working on now? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I have been, uh, you know, in, engaged uh, with this um, this Baricelli software for quite a, a while, um, and that's uh, uh, been a, a lot of my work. You can actually see it in the background, <laughs> this blue um, sort of piece. But I've been working also uh, on this series, um, which is thinking about uh, a. Uh, an issue, a, a graphical, um, a, an issue of, of, of image technology um, called aspect ratio. It's something we know primarily um, from video and, and screen-based work. It's where pixels get stretched. Um, and and uh, actually, this is an, an issue, though we think of it as a, an issue of video and screen-based media, 
um, it's actually an issue from jacquard weaving um, from the 17th and 18th century. So uh, people are always very surprised when, when, they, when they hear this, but essentially, you know, if you think about the weaving as a grid, um, the intersection of the lines, which are like the threads, we uh, in an ideal world, every thread is exactly the same, right? So the, the, your, your pattern um, is always perfectly orthogonal and square. But um, in reality, that's not true, right? Threads can be very different sizes and the interactions are not always perfect and ideal. So sort of um, capitalizing on that, I've been making um, this series of, um, this series I'm calling failed circles, which is uh, in the computer, I'm making yeah, very simple sort of algorithmic process, making these concentric circles. And then when they get to the loom, um, depending on uh, like choices in terms of yarns, um, that circle becomes um, ellipses of various size. So there's something about um, this relationship between the ideal digital space and then the kind of unexpected physical reality that um, is expressed there. And, and this will be in, in, in an exhibition um, opening uh, soon. I need to get back to work <laughs> um, soon in, in, uh, in LA at uh, Chris Sharp uh, Gallery um, in uh, late March. So that work will be, will be there. Well, we're looking forward to that. So I, I understand you've just been awarded a United States Artist Fellowship. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you Tell so us much. a little bit about uh, the United States Artists Organization and the fellowship and what you plan to do with it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's an incredible organization based in Chicago, um, fund, underwritten by many, many incredible donors. And um, it's uh, quite a transformative, to be honest, quite a transformative grant. It's a $50,000 unrestricted grant. And um, it's awarded to all kinds of uh, makers and thinkers, architects, um, uh, writers, musicians, performers, etc. Um, and and I I'm under the category of craft um, specifically. Um, and uh, you know they've done an incredible job of really looking at a very diverse uh, representation of, of um, creative thinkers and makers in the U.S. Um, and so I, I shared this honor um, with. A traditional contemporary Navajo weaver um, with incredible woodworkers um, and uh, uh, textile artists who work with performance. So very diverse kind of um, realm. Um, what am I going to do with it? Uh, practical stuff, I'm afraid. You know, pay off debt, <laughs> um, uh, invest in retirement. I'm also going to, um, uh, of course, uh, I have opportunity to acquire some equipment, um, some really necessary equipment, and weaving is a a uh, very equipment heavy uh, kind of process. And yeah, the the, the way that uh, uh, a grant like this, uh, when you get the check, the way it starts disappearing. Is <laughs> um, I think that anyone who works with grants uh, experiences that. So you've just spoken about um, these other uh, craftsmakers who mm -hmm. have gotten the award. And it's an interesting moment now because craft craft makers and, and craft artworks seem to have been entering the gallery space and the space of the museum more than they used to. Mm -hmm. I want to say a little bit about your philosophy of craft and also why craft is an important kind of art making, why, why, mm -hmm. why we should uh, see work like yours in galleries and, sure. in, and in museums. It's a great question. Um, and it's one that uh, my students think about a lot. Um, and, and you know, it, I think that we, from from the sort of 
um, gallery art market world, you know, trends, it, it, I, it's, it's hard to predict trends, but we can see looking back like um, craft sort of uh, uh, emerges and um, disappears and reemerges um, uh, many times in, in sort of uh, the, at least the, United, the, the Western kind of United States history of, of studio craft. Um, but I think what's more interesting is sort of uh, uh, looking at um, the way in which the social, um, uh, social cultural changes might orient us differently towards different kinds of practices. And um, I mean, it's like a pendulum, right? I think that, that uh, gosh, um, 20 years ago, maybe, uh, is it 20 years ago? Oh, I'm thinking about the 3D printer. You know, sort of like, oh, this is going to change. You know, it's <laughs> uh, there'll be no more sculpture departments. There'll be no more ceramics. Everything will just be three different things. Um, and it, I remember people really um, saying that. And and um, what, I think what happens is we realize uh, that the natural state is some sort of state of balance. So these things um, uh, get met with uh, uh, maybe a return or a resurgence of interest in in let's say. Um, traditional or more ancient ways of interacting with, with material. Um, and, and so I think craft is so important, you know, not only because it's like, um, uh, I, I see a, a need for um, my students and, and maybe uh, for, for people in general um, to engage the hand and the sort of agency of handwork, um, but also I think it helps maybe clarify in some ways, uh, again, this sort of continuity of technology, and it's a very, it's, a, it's amazing. I think um, again with my students, I see this most directly, kind of a, a sense of um, culture that has become more and more. You are a passive consumer, and um, you see things on your phone, and you buy them, and that's sort of the the scope of your interaction <laughs> with the material world. Um, and and I don't know, I, I'm not saying that I don't participate in that, of course, but I think that. Um, when you begin engaging with a craft that is, um, or even just when you go look at um, craft objects that represent like a 60,000 year history of our species, um, you are oriented to something different than kind of uh, simply a passive um, sense of, of the material world. I think it engages something that's like, um, uh, maybe it, 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 it's just shy of, uh, sort of pondering a campfire, you know? <laughs> it's like it's like that ingrained. Um, these, these craft processes are that ingrained in our in our um, in our species. So uh, it's good. It's good to to go contemplate a campfire. I think it's good to contemplate uh, a, a ceramic vessel. You've in that answer you've mentioned a couple of times your students, mm -hmm. very clear, I think to anyone who would watch this interview, uh, that you're a natural educator. Say something about how you approach uh, the, the, the task of art education and, and why it's important to you, why it's a part of what you do. Yeah, um, you know, it, I was raised in an, in an education system that really began to see the loss of arts programming and music programming and um, that education uh, became very much about uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, um, which, you know, I'm not saying are not important, but it's sort of like we're a whole body <laughs> with, many, with many parts that need to be educated or, or I would actually even say like desire to be educated. Um, and I, I think that my approach, um, if your question is about uh, how I teach weaving, um, 
you know, it, it's amazing. Uh, in some ways, I actually try and be as uh, as uh, invisible as possible when when people are discovering um, the loom. You know, it's it's in a way like uh, uh, I think about being a, a teacher of this craft in, the, in in sort of like a, a sense that I'm just like the um, the most recent or like I'm at the edge <laughs> of this sort of wave of of history and. Um, what I see in, in the class is sort of uh, this uh, amazing moment where um, everything slows down, right? Weaving is very slow. It's just simply, even if, if the digital loop, it's slow um, when you're threading hundreds of um, individual yarns through the machine or when you're passing the shuttle um, and hours and hours pass. And it's the slowest thing I think my students engage in. And that is simply, if that is the only thing they experience, I, I sometimes think, um, in the classroom, then that's great. Uh, uh, this sort of, a, just an invitation to, to be present in the world at this different pace, um, I think illuminates something about uh, the time that they're not on the loom. And, and I hear them talk about it. And I often hear students say, oh, it's so nice. I like, um, my, my, my brain turns off. And that's such a, and, and I'm like, well, I think it's actually that the, what you're experiencing is that the organ, organ of attention is not just your brain, it's your whole body. And maybe that, that your brain is not turning off, it's being turned on to some other things that it doesn't uh, usually get to, to be turned on to. So, so um, we're coming to the end of our time. This will probably be my last question. I understand that you're an av avid fan of speculative fiction, and I know that your work is concerned with speculative futures. And I just want to tell you that the, the Oregon Humanities Center theme for this year is imagining futures. So we've been asking uh, our guests to talk about how they, what this future that they're speculating about might look like. Tell us a little bit about how, how you imagine the future, how you speculate about the future in your work. Yeah. Um... Gosh, there's, <laughs> that's that's a tricky last question. Okay, I've I have a little bit under a minute. Um, Take your time; it's no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in my own work, I, I what I desire, I think, is a, a deeper relationship with technology. You know, I, I like this question that um, Carl Sagan uh, poses that um, like we are in a prolonged technological adolescence, and it's the same. Like you know, if you know an adolescent, it's like it's like the body is like um, not in sync with the mind <laughs> or, or the emotions, right? It's like, it's sort of clumsy and we're, we're moving very clumsily through um, our technological adolescence. And the, the question about the future, I, I suppose, is about how we will mature as technological beings. Um, you know, the Luddites were weavers. <laughs> we could go around um, smashing the, the, the technology. I think that that's, um, there's some argument <laughs> to be made about that, but uh, more likely than not, it's not going away. And, and I wonder about how we can imagine a relationship um, with, with digital technology, with technology um, that is going to be sustainable for our survival. Um, and it, it, I don't have a, any answers about that, unfortunately, but I think one of the ways um, we can pursue that relationship um, is through a, a less and less passive kind of um, engagement with it. So I, I, I like to ask my students, like, I, I like to ask my students and I like to ask um, my viewers sort of, uh, you know, to, to consider the technology um, in a deeper 
kind of continuum that, that uh, is not just about um, the, the most recent app that they downloaded, but how that app relates to um, the whole sort of matrix of histories and uh, technologies that are, are bringing it forward. And I think even just that kind of um, different awareness of technology um, can begin, I hope, some uh, conversation about where we want it to go um, in, in the future. Well, thanks so much for that answer, Javencio. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's really been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Jovencio de La Paz, Assistant Professor and Curricular Head of Fibers in the School of Art and Design at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much for watching.